Owners of a direct care practice are more likely to experience higher job satisfaction than the insurance-based practice, and it's no wonder why. Direct care is independent of insurance. Patients pay the doctor directly for their expertise. The doctor gets full autonomy in how they care for patients and how they get paid. We've chosen this path for the love of medicine. This is the direct care way. By listening to this podcast, you may even start to believe that you too can have a successful direct care practice. Come listen with an open mind as I share my personal journey on how I pivoted from an insurance-based practice to direct care right in the middle of the pandemic and the valuable lessons along the way. This podcast may be the very thing you need to revitalize your medical practice. I'm your host, owner of a direct care podiatry practice, Dr. T. Nguyen. Welcome to season three, which also means this is year number three for the podcast. Hooray! Hooray for us. Hooray for you for participating by listening to the podcast, by spreading the message of direct care, by allowing other doctors to recognize there's another way to practice medicine in private practice. I'm so glad you're here. Today's topic, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to talk about, and I realized I've not talked a whole lot about staffing, how to staff your direct care practice. And I'm going to do that today. You know, I understand that hiring has been increasingly harder because people are wanting to get paid more to do less. And you know what's really funny is that as physicians, we work really hard and we're getting paid less too. And so it's like the more you work, the more insurance reimbursements goes down, which does not correlate to the increase in business expenses. So I'm going to walk you through my experiences as a hiring manager from the insurance model into direct care, what that transition looks like. And, you know, hiring is hard. And I'll give you a couple of key things in how I made it less hard. I still think it's hard. So <laughs> let's get into it. When I was insurance model, the first thing I did was hire two full-time staff because I needed the security that I would have employees. And I don't know if I jumped the gun too quick, but... I took out a business loan and I just went for it. I said I needed somebody as a receptionist to answer the phone, check in the patients, do insurance verification, and then I needed a medical assistant to turn over the rooms, prepare the rooms, set up for procedures, consent forms, all the things. So in my head, minimum of two full-time employees. When I was working with a traditional consultant, insurance-based consultant, when I say traditional, that's what I mean, they said it's typical for a doctor to have at least two and a half support staff. Two and a half, probably the half means like a biller or something like that. So that's what I went with. At the time, I used a billing company that took a percentage of collections. Eventually didn't work out. They were not collecting all the claims. A lot of drama came out about that. And so I ended up hiring somebody locally to do my billing. I brought them in-house because I also needed somebody to cross train in case the receptionist needed vacation or got sick or the medical assistant wasn't available, that kind of stuff. So I did kind of had two and a half staff members. And then I had some really great opportunities to train medical assistant students. So they were also available to be hands on deck to help out and learn at the same time. And that was really great. I, I felt like I had a good handle on running my business for a little while. And then I got to see my expenses. My overhead was at least 60%, if not more, of my revenue. And I felt like I was bleeding a lot of money. 
And yes, you can expect that your staff will be the highest percentage of your overhead. Then I started to think about opting out because at the time, I was spending so much money on everything else. I really didn't know how I was going to recuperate that. Waiting for checks to come in, waiting for claims to get cleared, having to deal with claim denials, having to deal with insurance, wanting their money back. And then I received the checks all under 10 cents and that kind of just put me over. And I had decided in 2020 that I was going to figure out a way to opt out of insurance and still make good money. So that was when I started to make the decision. I started to learn some key things about marketing, learn additional skill sets to help me stand out as a cash-based practice. And then I went to work. So then in 2020, I learned some key skills. Then I started to opt out of my first terrible payer, the one that paid the least, but gave me the most headache or consumed a lot of my overhead, which was the state-funded insurance, unfortunately. I had opted out. They reached out to me and said, we need podiatrists and we would love to be able to keep you on. And whatever their story was, I said, that's all gravy, but I cannot pay my bills with the rates that are provided. And of course, they guilt trip you into saying, well, you're providing a needed service. And I said, I get that, but I also have a needed income that I that I need to support my family and who's going to pay back my school debt and also this loan that I took out to open my practice. Like, you're crazy if you're thinking I'm going to work for free forever. So long story short, I let go of that insurance. I had a heartache throughout the whole experience. And then suddenly I experienced an increase in revenue because I was making room for more money. And then years go by, I started to opt out of insurance one by one. And then finally opting out of the last insurance. That's when I recognized, or my staff actually recognized that their full-time job status was going to be compromised. So they started to leave for other jobs and it was amicable. I think it was just the right thing to do at the time to let go of staff members who needed something I couldn't provide. They needed a full-time job with benefits and I was downsizing. So they, they left and then I had my direct care practice ever since by myself. So my last employee actually stayed with me, saw the transition and knew that I was cutting back hours, but stayed very loyal. I'm very appreciative of where my practice came to be. It was a lot due to her and her referrals and her networking within the community, but things changed. Dynamics in the practice have changed. I couldn't meet her needs any longer. I couldn't provide her full-time hours. Although I cut back her hours, I increased her wages. I still needed to do some more trimming because I really, really didn't need that much support. I was able to take care of patients fully, one patient at a time. I never had to double book. I was making my bills. I was so happy to pay my credit card bills on time. Something I couldn't do when I was in the insurance-based model. I was on track financially. So finally had a conversation and said, I'm changing directions in my practice. I don't need staff for this many hours. Are you willing to work less? We had conversations and ultimately she said, no, I really need a full-time job. And so we departed ways and I had to take a break from being an HR manager from that moment on because I knew that at the end of it, 
at the end of her term, I was really frustrated. I was frustrated with, I think, a lot of things that I put on myself and onto her. But essentially, it was just no longer a good fit for the practice because I found myself having to train and retrain and repeat myself on the regular, which I think is an important essential part of being an HR manager, just continuing education, reminding them and things like that. And I was just not that. I am not a good HR manager whatsoever. I wanted to be the doctor. I wanted to make sure my patients were taken care of. I didn't want to have to repeat myself over and over again because somebody couldn't figure stuff out on their own. They depended on me way too heavily to just give them the answer instead of them figuring stuff out on their own and so it was kind of a lot of weight on me and I felt very lifted when I ended up being by myself and not having any staff support whatsoever. That might sound kind of crazy and strange for you but I did go through at least 11 months of being in the office by myself. It was just me and the patient and my wi-fi. That was it. My entire registration process was so easy It was digital, so there wasn't a whole lot for the receptionist to do. I answered the phone call periodically. That was kind of cool. I was able to convert a lot of the callers because it was really hard to train new people on how to answer the phone and get them through to me. And so I felt like I was able to convert patients quicker if they just spoke to me directly so that they understood what I had to offer and they were talking to a doctor. So how common do people get that experience? They call an office and the doctor actually answers. So I thought that was really cool. That made it really easy for patients to convert once they understood what I was doing. And that's where I was at. So in my direct care practice, I essentially let go all employees for a period of time. That decreased my overhead significantly. That allowed me to rebudget my finances and put more into marketing and pay myself a little bit more which, you know, as a business owner, it's hard to do in the beginning stages, but I was able to do that. And then came a time where I was looking for help. So I'm going to help you get ready to hire your future staff member, especially if you're hesitating or you don't have a lot of experience or you're being told one thing or another. I'm going to clarify all that for you. So how do you know you need to hire help? My decision point was when I was doing stuff I didn't want to do. Things like cleaning the instruments, cleaning the rooms, well, deep cleaning, not just sweeping, but actually getting in there and mopping the floors because I do procedures and I want to make sure everything's clean. I didn't want to do that. Taking out the trash, managing inventory, answering the phone. So I created a list of things that I didn't want to do that I knew somebody else could do if I just trained them. And then I looked at it and said, okay, what is this person worth to me? If I can spend X dollar on this person to take this off my load what can that do for me or my practice and the answer was if i can offload this task then i can focus more on the patient i can focus more on being with the patient or studying about conditions that patients present to me i can research stuff i can do the fun stuff when it comes to being a doctor that's what i was thinking so then i hired a key player which was my virtual assistant to answer the phone because that was a lot of work They were able to answer some very basic questions and ultimately if they needed to talk to a doctor that would just become an appointment and right now i offer like a 50 dollars 15 minute consultation for patients to talk to me to make sure that we're a good fit before we move forward 
back in the day, I did do free consultations. That didn't go out so well. And so I decided to just put a small investment because I wanted to make sure the person who's calling also has a small investment. It matters a lot more to them when their skin is in the game, they'll show up, no shows are decreased and so on. So that's the process that I have right now. Now, how did I choose my next employee? So I have a virtual assistant who's part-time and then I decided to bring somebody in-house because I just needed another face. I was getting inundated with random people walking in my door unannounced. Sales reps love them and everything, but I get distracted way too easily. So I needed somebody to man the door and do some of, of the other miscellaneous things that I mentioned, you know, the cleaning of the instruments, sterilizing, whatever, administrative stuff, stuff that I don't need to do as a physician. So I created that list and said, the person that I want to fit this role must be a fast learner. They must be well-educated. They must be motivated. And they must just be really good to talk to. Like good to talk to in the sense that they made me feel comfortable. They were sociable enough. You know, they didn't have to have a sparkly personality or, you know, nothing extravagant. I just needed somebody who was like a college student who gets it, who values hard work and wants to work. That's what I was looking for. And especially this day and age where we're hearing a lot about hiring mishaps where people would ghost their employers, not even show up the first day. Um, not even show up for interviews and so on. So like we're kind of struggling on the hiring department, so I get that. So my criteria was really their personality and the character. Like how are they when things are stressful? Who are they when they can't answer a question? How do they respond to my questions that I asked? Like I was assessing them from that angle rather than what their prior experiences were. I've had people who had great medical experiences, but they were working in an insurance-based practice. And I don't know, something about it just didn't feel like I really needed to prioritize that. You know, in the insurance-based practice, that person needs to be quick. They need to be a fast learner. They need to understand insurance, jargon, that kind of stuff. Like that is helpful. But when the pickings are slim, I reprioritize personality and character over prior experience because these are the things that you can learn on the job. Although it does take a little bit more elbow grease on my behalf to be more patient about training them on OSHA and HIPAA and you know those little nuances. But at the end of the day, I felt pretty good with my candidate and that's what I went with. Take it from me, I'm not a great hiring person. I'm not a great firing person, but here's how I made it less hard. I recognize that all that I'm doing right now in this phase of my practice is that I'm still learning. I've only hired maybe five, six people in the last five years of my practice. And so that's not a lot of numbers. That's not a lot for me to work with. You can't really develop key skills like intuition on how to read a person, how to decide if they're a good fit. Is that personality a good fit for that particular job, for instance? Which means I'm still learning. You know, I can read all the books, I can go to all the conferences, but at the end of the day, it's how I feel with that person, how much I trust them, their character, their skill level, and so on. And so I lean more towards my intuitive side when it comes to hiring. And I tend to have good feelings about good people. And then I have bad feelings about bad people. And I'm really, really lucky that in the last five years, I've hired all really great people. Nobody has ever given me, knock on wood, terrible problems. 
And so that has been going really well. I recognize that I'm not very good at the hiring stuff, mostly because I didn't have the experience and I'm actively gaining those experiences. So if you're in the same situation, just recognize that you're learning as well. Learning how to hire, there is no magic formula. Just know that if the first couple of hires aren't working out, you continue to do it. So the more you have experience with that, the more you'll learn, the more you develop that intuition on who's a good fit and who's not, and that's okay. So we can learn from all of these experiences. And I think that's the most important lesson that we never learn as doctors, as business owners, that just because we're good at being a doctor doesn't mean we're good as the hiring manager, and that just comes with time. And firing now is also hard. But you also, if you're in a situation where you know you have to fire somebody, but you're hesitating because maybe you're afraid of retaliation, maybe you don't know how to fire them, maybe there are just, you know, stuff that is making you hesitate, I want to give you a little bit of peace of mind about firing. Firing is like trimming off dead branches. You have to let go of bad things because you may never really know what the experience is for your staff members, especially if you have multiple staff members. If you don't really tune into the dynamics that the person you're thinking about firing is bringing you, not only are they a financial strain, they're probably affecting your bottom line because of their, what I call, unbillable drama. They're creating chaos or drama or passive aggressiveness that isn't really aligned with the mission of your business. Maybe they're even on the brink of unprofessional and you're hesitating to let them go. And I get that. Maybe you even have a really loyal employee that you don't want to let go because you feel bad. I get that too. But being a business owner comes with being able to make hard decisions. And if you know deep down you should be letting somebody go, you can let them go with kindness. So what I've done in the past is I've had conversations with employees where I said, I don't think this is working out. I support you in looking for another job. If you need a letter of recommendation, I'm happy to do that for you. But this is not working out. When you position yourself as somebody who is understanding and empathetic, and you let that person know that it's not working, and you recognize that it's not working for you, and it's not working for them, I think it puts you in a better position to allow them the freedom and the grace to choose something else. Because maybe they didn't want to be there either and maybe they were waiting for you to say something. And that's where the rift and the passive-aggressive drama might be happening. You know, if they're unhappy and you're unhappy, it's really worth letting go so both parties can decide where their happiness is. So I know it's easier said than done. I have had to let go of employees in the past. It's never been great, but it's always been great after the fact, if that makes sense. It's always been a good decision when either of us decided to depart because from that we learn to grow and we learn to be prepared for what's next. And I mentioned that I didn't have a staff for 11 months or so and that actually gave me time to figure out what I wanted next because oftentimes I don't really know what I want. I wasn't very clear about what I wanted and that reflected in my hiring decisions. But once I gave myself that pause, because I was able to, I was making more money with less work. That's the beauty of direct care. Then I was able to decide on who I wanted to fit into this little jigsaw puzzle that I created for myself in my direct care practice and find a good fit. So for now, things are going pretty good. I have my virtual assistant who answers the phone part-time. I have an office 
assistant who does a lot of the support, both the cleaning, the marketing, anything that I don't want to do, they're helping me out with. So that's pretty cool. And I'm really happy with that in my direct care practice. So two part-time employees, low overhead. It's the perfect fit for this phase of my practice right now. So I hope I gave you some tidbits about hiring. Yeah, it's hard. Firing, that's hard too, but that's business ownership. Recognize it's hard because we don't have the experience. We just need a little bit more and we will be on our way to finding that perfect fit for our perfect practice. That's all I have for this week. I will check back with you next week. Take care. Thank you so much for being here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please like, share, and subscribe so more people like you can have access to another way of practicing medicine, the direct care way. Let's connect. Find my info in the show notes and send me your questions. It might be the topic for future episodes. And lastly, if you remember nothing else, remember this. Be the energy you want to attract. See you next time.